Welcome back to Hot Takes Only. This is episode 14, I believe. We haven't done this in almost six months. Uh, and Willie, I for one am glad to be back sitting down, talking about sports again, doing this. It, it's long overdue. Um, and I just want to say that for those of you who missed our uh, our regular content or regular-ish content, uh, thank you for thinking of us. Uh, but we're going to try to be a little more... A little more frequent now that we're finally situated again and back doing the show. Uh, first things first, though, Willie, what a Premier League season we had this year. A title race for the ages. We're going to start in England with the Premier League, and we're going to pretty much exclusively talk soccer slash football, whatever you want to call it, this episode. We've got three very special guests in the show, friends of the program, uh, my brother Ian, Nick Snyder, and Brian Sherman, uh, friends of the program, friends of ours, and I uh, can't wait to hear their takes on the Europa League final, the Champions League final on Saturday. Uh, it's Thursday night, uh, the 30th of May, as we're recording this. And Willie, just your thoughts holistically on what was a phenomenal Premier League season. Yeah, Owen, I mean, first of all, very thankful to be doing this with you again and, and yeah it was just one for the ages and um you know if you like if you like soccer or, or football as we should call it um I mean this was just one that this is why we love soccer you know it was just it was just brilliant it was just so fun to watch and you know it it's sad I, I it, it took us right to the very last day yeah and, and it's one of those things where you know, you and I were just talking about this off off the off the air, but you know, having it be a case of did Liverpool lose the league after having a seven point lead at Christmas, or did Man City go on a historic run and snatch it out of Liverpool's hands in the in a literal historic fashion? If this was any other year except for last year and this year, Liverpool would have had the title won by mid March. I mean, they had the, the highest points total in Liverpool history, the third highest points total in Premier League history, followed only by the last two winners, Manchester City. Um, that, to me, is is got to be more indicative of what the season was for for Liverpool. And, you know, as, as much as I'm sure Everton and Manchester United fans and other fans around England would, as much as they would suggest otherwise, I think it was a case of, Liverpool doing absolutely everything they could, but coming up short against a manager who's top class, absolute world class manager Pep Guardiola, and a, an organization that frankly has money to burn. Um, you, you've seen the money that Guardiola has spent not only in his career but in his career as a city manager. It's just been astonishing how they've been able to go after players and and buy really well. They've make no mistake they've they've bought really 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 smart in the transfer market. Uh, but at the end of the day, when you have the kind of money they have, uh, no real player is out of the question, uh, regardless of what Pep Guardiola says in the media, making comments about how they can't afford a player like Antoine Griezmann <laughs> and right. not being able to, to buy this, that player. I, I don't I don't buy into any of that. Just, you know, the, the resources they have are absolutely astonishing. And the way they've been able to put together a title-winning campaign in back-to-back seasons in the way they did is nothing short of spectacular. So kudos, kudos to Man City for doing it in the way they did it. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I mean, shout-out to both teams, just how great they are. You know, on one hand, Liverpool had, what, the third most points ever? Third um, most points ever in a 38-game season. In a 38-game season, yeah. And I mean, you know, 
just simply incredible. And, you know, and then at the same time, City, you know, um, following it up back to back with that incredible season and, and going unbeaten for 14 straight, winning 14 straight games at the end of the season um, in the manner they did. Yeah, and literally, I mean, literally one-upping Liverpool. And I think one of the most, I mean, Owen, like, I think one of the most incredible things just about it, though, was for both teams was just how they did it. I mean, first off, like, has this this Liverpool team improved as much as any team I've ever seen in sports from the year? Not just in the sense that they've got, what, 25 points more or something like that. But, I mean, remember last year when they were just so open, you know, and you just never felt secure? Like, they they could win games 4-0, but they could tie games, you know, 3-3. Three three. And, and then this year, just you know, having the best goals against record in the league. And you just, you felt they were always in control. And, you know, sure, they, they drew some games, but what a remarkable, how much they improved. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, you hit the, you hit the nail on the head there. I think last year was really indicative that the first game of the season uh, for Liverpool was away at Watford. And I remember watching that um, when, when we were living together yeah. a couple summers ago. Uh, it ended up being 3-3. And... It wasn't the kind of game where you ever felt sure defensively that a three-one a three-one lead was good enough or a three-two lead was good right. enough. This year, if you got to if you got to two nothing, then it was game over. It, it, you know, almost in every single game. Obviously, there were games like Crystal Palace at Anfield, and I think Burnley scored a couple as well. Yep. Um, but on the whole, it was one of those years where if you spotted Liverpool a couple goals, you weren't coming back. Um, the the real transformation they made at the back with the acquisition of Allison in the transfer window and then Virgil van Dyke last winter um, has really changed the identity of this team. And, and I think part of that is something we didn't really touch on, um, but it was losing to Real Madrid in the Champions League final. I think it was, it, it's been not as widely documented as the signings, but it's something that Klopp has definitely said that we need to start playing a little more methodical. Um, you know, heavy meta football is something that Liverpool can still play and it's something that I think they will bring with them to the Champions League final which we'll address a little later in the show um, but it's it's one of those things where Klopp has adapted based on what has happened to him as a manager um, the the Champions League is the one that he wants he knows that Liverpool has a really special connection to the Premier League and, and the top flight in English football is something that's it's been Liverpool's in the past it hasn't been theirs in the last in the Premier League era but the Champions League is the one that has eluded him personally as a manager, and so you have to think that that his his style, his year of chasing and being chased by Man City has has really let him put everything together. And hopefully, for for Liverpool fans on on Saturday, he'll be able to deliver something. Uh, he and the players, that is, will be able to deliver something to a fan base that has been starved of silverware, uh, really meaningful silverware since two thousand five when they last lifted the trophy yeah no totally and you know i think they will get into it but i think they have a really good chance of doing that on saturday and, and kind of like you said he really did learn a lot from his lessons of the past but i just want to ask you owen as kind of the liverpool expert i mean how much credit do you think out of these three things how do you think proportionally you should give the credit one, you know, Klopp learning from his, you know, mistakes or whatever in the past. Um, the the solid play of pretty much everyone on the team. I mean, every 
player on that team played a role or simply the brilliance of Virgil van Dijk? Um, I think it's pretty split down the middle. I mean, all of them were, you know, it, it, it required a complete team effort from the top all the way down this year um, from management backing backing Klopp with the money to go out and buy Fabinho four days after the Champions League final or to go out and buy Virgil van Dijk in the transfer window or to go out and buy Allison, to go out and buy Shakiri, and also to understand that this team is still working towards something. Last year, it wasn't a fluke, but they were still very much a team that's learning how to be in those big moments. This year, we saw that even under the intense pressure of the title race, they didn't crack. You could say that you know, obviously with a seven-point lead at Christmas and end up not winning the title, being the only team in the last few years to have that happen, then, yeah, then they're, you know, this is not something. This is, you know, they choked it. But City also, they also had the second longest winning streak in Premier League history to end the season. They won 14 games in a row to end the season. Liverpool won nine in a row to end the season with City breathing down their necks. You know how much of that is is Liverpool bottling it earlier in the season and then going on that run in the end, and how much of City is City hitting a patch of bad form in in the earlier stage of the season and then going on a historic run to end the season. I mean, so it's it's one of those things where you can't really say it's definitively one thing or another. Or if, oh, if Liverpool wouldn't have drawn against West Ham away or Leicester Manchester at home, United. Manchester United away, Everton away, those four draws right there. I don't see those as drop points as much as maybe others in the space, in the sports media space would, but I can see why they would think that way. But also you factor in the just crazy moments you can't describe, the the Pickford error against Liverpool at, at Anfield, the the air mm-hmm. Pickford, if you will. Um, and then Daniel Sturridge's goal against Sturridge's Chelsea. Sturridge's goal against Chelsea to, stay, to snatch a point at Stamford Bridge, one of the goals of the season. Um, the goal against Tottenham. You know? ta- the own goal against Tottenham at Anfield. It, the crazy 4-3 win against Palace. Exactly. You could go on and on and on about crazy things that happened to Liverpool this year. And for them to come up literally one point short of a team that won 14 straight games just to end the season uh, is is remarkable and I think should be remembered as such. And I think a lot of people at the end of the day, they'll remember this team not for coming in second. But for why why they were able why they came in second, the the people they were chasing, the people who chased them down, and I guess secondly the the big you know the the big one the Barcelona four nothing against Barcelona yeah. Messi's Messi's Barcelona four nothing at Anfield to go and to the know, Champions League final. I just want to say you know to that to that point. You know, and I think one of the things I really hope doesn't happen is I hope we don't forget to add on your point. You know, one of the things I think that gets lost in in sporting history is, you know, in 10 years and then in the future, when you could really say this in the past or whatever, you know, people look back and they'll say, oh, you know, 97 points, third most in a 38-game season, but... I hope they don't forget the way this happened. And it reminds me of something that Klopp said after the Barcelona match when he said that it's not just about winning silverware. It's about creating these special moments, you know. And I think that one of the things I hope they don't forget was just how together this team played and how many special moments. 
during the EPL season, like you said, during the Champions League. I mean, those are the moments, you know, that we won't forget. You know, those that you know all those games you mentioned, and so I think it's going to be a real, real shame because the way that Liverpool won these close games, or you know, one game in particular for some reason comes to mind. I mean, not only the Barcelona game when they remember when they beat Southampton three mm-hmm. zero, and they just stormed at the end. Like it was just the way they did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I just hope that people in, in history don't forget that because, you know, it's easy to look and see 97 points and remember second, but the way they did it, it was cool. Yeah, you you're, you're referencing the game against Southampton away kind of more recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was actually the, they went behind inside, I think it was inside 10 minutes. Yep. Um, and then the the equalizer from Nabi Keita – that's right. And the second half goals from Salah, who hadn't scored in the, his the highest number of games since he had been a Liverpool player. That's right. And then the the finisher Hendo, from from Henderson. Yeah. Um. So you know, for for every game that kind of, you know, they shouldn't have dropped points here. There's there's a game that they shouldn't have picked up points. So it was, it was I, I think a pretty equal give and take for Liverpool this year. On the whole, um, there's. You know, there's not a lot you can do for Liverpool, or if you're a Liverpool fan, in the way of, you know, thinking about oh, what could have happened differently. I mean, there's there's really not a lot you can think about. Sure. No, I mean, but but you know what, Owen? I mean, this is what I would say. A hundred percent. Like I was telling you off air, like hundred percent. You're right. Like at the end of the day, they they had an incredible season there, and you know, you're always bound to have some ups and downs. But I just felt like, you know, we'll put it this way. I'm glad that Liverpool played flawlessly um, in the last couple months because, to be honest, excuse me, when they had that run of bad results, I wasn't sure what was going to happen. You know what I mean? I, I was worried that they were going to fade a little bit because for a couple months, I mean, I, I don't want to overblow it, but their their level did drop a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, and... and, and- I'll jump in real quick. And just part of that was also, you know, they they went through the festive period unbeaten. Um, yep. They had six games in December, and they won all six yeah. games. Um, some of them, most of them, in very convincing fashion. And yeah. right on the end of playing Arsenal at home and uh, Newcastle at home, yeah, they ha- I mean, this was literally three days I after after beating yeah. Arsenal at home. And thrashing they them. go to they go to the Etihad to play City, and yep. they lost by literally the finest of margins. That is that one clearance from John Stones was the difference between them yeah. winning and losing the title, and that and the goal against Aguero, the goal from Aguero against Burnley as well, and the rocket from Company against Leicester. You could go on and on about and moments the that goal from Mares against Burnley. No, I mean that exactly. moment for Company. Though. I mean the moment for Company that was. And then even even earlier in the season, Mares missing a penalty at Anfield. That's right. No, that's absolutely right. So there's there's a lot of things we can talk about as yeah. far as the season from a Liverpool perspective, but ultimately, they were you know they were one ups by I, a team that has the resources they do, the manager they do, and credit to them for taking their chances when they came. Yeah. Um. No, absolutely. Um. But just the just the. I think we have to praise Manchester City in the sense that to go 14 games unbeaten, I mean, that just takes incredible mental focus. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just... 
But then again, like you said, they had their moment. I mean, I think in terms of top sporting moments, that Vincent Company goal has to be right up there. Yeah, it's I up mean, there. I remember I had the day off from work, and I was watching that in a bar. And I just, that was one a really good game, man. I felt the tension. And, um, and then that just happened, and it was just, like, unbelievable. Yeah, it looked like Leicester were going to push them all the, all the way and maybe get a late equalizer. But, it, you know, it, it just ended up being one of those situations where uh, it's it's a case of drop points for, uh, or, you know, not, not getting the job done for for Liverpool if you're, if you're a Brendan Rodgers and trying to get your former employer some silverware. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> that, was, um, that was a tough one, man. And do you, do you, I just want to want to mention one more point on it. I know we're really nitpicking here, but I want to ask you, how do you feel about Mo, Mo Salah? Because I, I listen, it's I don't listen. His 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 tally for the season was great, but there was a time during the season where he really was misfiring, and you know. In those critical games, they could have used some goals from him. I'm just wondering what, what your thoughts were on that. Because, yeah. Well, you think about that as well. But it, to me, it's it's less of one player individually struggling as it was the entire front three. I mean, we talked about basically from the start of the year how the way Liverpool racked up points from, from day one was not yeah. solely Mana, Mane, Salah, and Firmino. It was the entire squad. Mm-hmm. Everyone was scoring at some point, or, or scoring enough to get well, the job done. They weren't scoring wait. goals we saw in years past. They were scoring mm-hmm. one goal here, two goals there, one goal here, two goals there. In the past, it was three or four goals. So, you know, I think Firmino didn't, he didn't hit double digits until very late in the season. I think he scored one of his first few goals of the season against Arsenal. Um, you know, it's just it's a lot of those cases where um, I, I don't peg it to to Salah having a bad year. Yeah, there there are moments where he should have passed uh, and he shot, or moments he should have shot and he passed. And you know, when when you get to have the kind of situation that he was in, you're going to have those moments where you you over you you think too much. As opposed to just doing last year, he did a really good job of just taking the responsibility of being the guy on his shoulders and just did it. He he wasn't you know there were some instances where he had no right to score from where he did the goal against Everton, the goal against Roma in the Champions League. Um, yeah, those totally, two kind totally. of stick out to me. He had no right to score either one of those goals, and what does he do? He puts them in the exact place you need to. Um, and this year, it's just the right. things like that just weren't coming off for him. Um, obviously, he hit the goal against Chelsea. Sorry to bring that up, but yeah, you sure. Know, he he did what he needed to. I would say. But I'm just wondering. I just I'm just wondering. You know, now in these games they drew. It's true they weren't all shutouts. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, he had he had he's had so many amazing moments, but it's just the way they set up the team. You know, towards the end of the season, they started to get some goals. But for a while, they were really relying on the front three for the goals. And so, you know, I'm not sure if that was a manager thing or if that was just a a personnel thing. But um, I think that, you know, that was the difference where, you know, 
some games maybe they could have gotten a goal from a midfielder or something, you know, because Sadio Mane was the one that was really firing the whole season, if that makes sense. You know, Manchester City, they always had someone from Mares or Raheem Sterling or Bernardo Silva, whoever it was that could score from the midfield. But when Liverpool's front three were misfiring, their level really dropped for a while. And I just think that, you know, I don't want that to take away because they had such a great season, but I just think that something perhaps even looking forward, I think whether it's Nebi Keita, they need to figure out how to consistently get some more threats from the midfield. Yeah, and I think you mentioned Nabi Keita, and I, I do want to talk about him a little more because he offers something that we didn't get to see a whole lot of the season because of acclimating to a new league, acclimating to a new country, playing a new style. And mm-hmm. on top of that, he had injury problems as well throughout a lot of the Yeah, year. he did. But mm-hmm. especially towards the end of the season, he showed flashes of the kind of player he is going to be for this club. He's going to be a very yeah. important player for the club. That's that's not up for discussion. He's he's shown flashes of it, and you can tell with his his he he is kind of the two way midfielder that Klopp really desires. He's got a little bit of creativity in him, but he's willing to put in a shift and put in a tackle here and there. So it's it's really one of those cases where I think. Next season, we're going to see the very best of Nabi Keita more consistently. Mm-hmm. I, no, I think so, too. Like you said, presuming he stays fit. Um, and I, he, he really will be a, a big part of the thing going forward because I think the difference with him and mentioned is just, you know, at times Henderson and Wijnaldum get in the box, but Nabi Keita is just so skilled. You know, he can shoot, he can play make, and... Um, I think, like you case said, it, it just takes time to adjust. And, and to be fair, I think one thing that Klopp does with the team is he, he doesn't rush players um, into... He really, you know, think about, like, Fabinho. Like he, he, does, he really lets them settle in, settle into their roles and not expect way too much out of them, you know, at the beginning. Exactly. Um, and that's what I was but, saying. That's what I was saying last year as well with Oxlade-Chamberlain when he came into the squad. Or even Andrew Robertson when he came into the squad. Yeah, he, they weren't starting every single week, but that's right. What was happening is they were going through training, they were learning how to play the kind of Klopp Liverpool style, and then mm-hmm. once they got the trust of the manager, and once they showed that they could play the style, they have been two of the first names in the team sheet. Or Oxlade Chamberlain, not as much since his injury. Um, right, he was playing pretty consistently before that. He was, he was Fabinho, playing well. Yeah. Fabinho playing pretty much every single every single match or every other match. Um, it just he he does a really good job of managing his players not only as athletes as as footballers but as people. He's a very yeah, he good does. people manager. He's a man. man. People, the players like him and they respect him absolutely. You know exactly. I, I do just want to mention, you know, just a, a couple of really quick things. One was um, with regards to Navi Keita, I do really people talk about this, but. I really think he's a really critical part to the team. And I really think, I mean, people at times overblow this, but I really think he has to play in the center. Like, if like they can't play him if they're... I know they went back to the 4-3-3, but I don't think they can do the 4-2-3-1 where they play him out wide. I just think they're really misusing him if they do that. Um, but then the other thing I just wanted to bring up is I just think, like you said, I think there's something about the two managers... Where and they do it differently, but 
you know, with Klopp and Guardiola, but they're such good man management. I mean, say what you want about the money at times, but they really get the best out of each player. They know what buttons to push. And in the case of Klopp, the players like him. They really respect him. And each individual player, he he brings along differently. And I think that's just, with a squad like that, the way he he tries to get the best out of every player is just unbelievable to me. And just the development of all these players, you know. He's really getting more out of the sum of the parts, yeah, I guess. And that's that's kind of the way he's always known to manage. He's He hasn't been at the, the Barcelona's, the Real Madrid's of the world's. He took Mainz to the Bundesliga for the first time. He brought Dortmund back from the brink from the brink of of bankruptcy, and mm-hmm. now he's taking Liverpool almost back to the top, where truthfully, where you know, people where I think they belong. But that's obviously me coming from an incredibly biased Liverpool mm-hmm. standpoint. Sure. Speaking of biased standpoints, we have three very special guests, like we mentioned at the show, three Arsenal super fans mm. ready for this interview. You guys are gonna love <laughs> awesome. the uh, the little chat we're gonna have with them. Um, so that's that's on deck right now. Um, the interview with Ian, yeah. Nick, and Brian. Last last thought before we uh, before we play yeah. this interview. I just want to ask you on: Have you ever heard of um, a Liverpool player disgruntled? I think that goes to the quality of the management under under Klopp. Mm-hmm. Other have than, you ever other than Alberto Moreno and maybe okay. Simo Mignolet? No, but neither one of them okay. can really complain. Right. I mean, I mean, I just feel like it's a testament because they have a lot of depth, and I just feel like every player plays a role. And even the players who don't, who play marginally, they all seem to be happy, then they can jump right in there, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's a Daniel Sturridge or a, a Lovren, a Matip, um, who, a Joe Gomez even at the end, like whoever it is, they just can come in and they just... Klopp's just a brilliant manager, that's all. Yeah, Oh, and... Yeah, that we could go on and on about this, but yeah. we've got this really cool interview for, for you sure. guys. Let's do it. So here is Ian, Nick, and Brian joining us on Hot Takes Only, the revival of Hot Takes Only. Yeah. Hey guys. All right, we're here with Ian. <clears throat> excuse me, Ian, Nick, and Brian, friends of the program, big Arsenal fans, guys. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. Awesome um, to have you guys. First part of the show, we just kind of spent talking about. Uh, the, the end of the Premier League season from a Liverpool perspective. We're going to get to the Champions League final a little later, um, but just want to get the Arsenal perspective on on the season for the Premier League. I know there's a lot of ups and a lot of downs. It's the be- beginning of a new era for you, uh, you know, without without obviously Wenger in, in charge, uh, with the, the good evening manager. Uh, so just your, your initial thoughts on, on the season and what what you liked, what you hated, how much video you need to look at to get prepared for next season. You know, you, know, you say there was a lot of ups, but I, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> One or two, but, uh, you know, a lot of downs. I don't know if you're watching the same, the same games as us. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what's Arsenal? <laughs> That's a great so, question. In all seriousness, uh, like, have you told me at the beginning of the season that we would finish fifth and make the Europa League finals and not win it? You know, I probably would have said that's not a bad season for a new manager to come in and, you know, basically get better results than Wenger did in his last season, so it's progress, but just the way it happened was a lot more depressing than pretty much any other way that it could have happened, with just, like, complete capitulation over the last four weeks. Um, Like, had 
the losses been more spread out, I think it would have been actually more palatable. Yeah, you know, yeah. One of the big problems we had under Banger, I think, was uh, was mental. You know, we were uh, shite on the road, uh, shite to you know start games, and for a while it looked like we'd gotten over that. And even if we didn't, uh, you know, make top four, even if we didn't win the Europa League, as long as we solved that problem, then I would have considered the season a smashing success. And it seemed for a while that we did. But given just how things have gone in the last month or so, where we bottle it against uh, significantly inferior teams, um, you know, bottled it in a game that I don't want to talk about um, that may have happened yesterday, you know, it's it's hard to be hopeful going forward given how poorly we finished the season. It's a lot of work to be done in the offseason. A lot of dead weight that needs to be moved on in some way or another and then I mean frankly I think that that is a bigger issue than even our transfer budget is just clearing out space to bring in new players like if you told me that we were gonna go sign a bunch of young talent and try to build it up for you know a rebuild over the next couple of years like I'm okay with that but you got to clear out the dead wood first, and there's a lot of dead wood that needs to go. And that's going to be a huge effort, considering that they're shortening the transfer window this year, and I think it ends before the season starts, whereas it used to end a couple games into the season. So shortened transfer window and you know, lots to do there beyond even just buying players. What are you guys hoping? What kind? What parts of the squad are you guys hoping that they address most in the transfer window? All of them. <laughs> All of them except striker and yeah, keeper. Yeah, no. Uh, center back probably the biggest priority. Mm-hmm. Holding coming back, you know, you could see a holding Socrates partnership being decent, but just with our injury record. You know, and and Emery liking to be able to switch to three center backs if he needs to for tactical reasons. You know, when the third option is Mustafi, um, who you know is just such a weird player because he can be totally fine for eighty nine minutes and then one minute just do right. the dumbest thing ever and give up a goal. It's like he's he's bad, but he's not just like he's not bad in the sense that a normal bad player would be. He's good right. 89 minutes at a time and then just decides to like give the ball directly to Wilfried Zaha for a one-on-one, right? It's just, it's it's totally bizarre. And so we, we need a better option there. Um, after that, I think there's kind of a two camps. Some people think that we need a, a, Replacement for Ramsey, so someone who can play that box-to-box midfield position. Uh, and, you know, they don't have to be exactly like Ramsey, but they need to be someone that is comfortable, like, carrying the ball through the middle of the field. Um, does add something on the attack, because obviously just having Ozil, Aubameyang, and Lacazette is not always perfect. You can't just rely on Lacazette and Aubameyang to create individual moments of brilliance. So you need 
somebody else who can push off and overlook mm-hmm. on the attack. Um, and then kind of along those lines is the other train of thought, which is we also need a, a true winger, right? Like Mkhitaryan and Alex, mm. we are um, more of like inside forwards. Mm-hmm. Occasionally we put Aubameyang out on the left, and obviously he's more of a striker than he is a true winger. And so we need someone who can, you know, take the ball, dribble down the flank, and actually take people on one-on-one. Um, the closest thing we have to that right now is Awobi, and Awobi is, uh, you know, he's, he's good on the ball, he can dribble, but his, he doesn't have quite the end product that a right, right. player would have. Um, yeah. He's not like a true goal-scoring threat, and he's not particular particularly a great crosser of the ball either. Um, and so, you know, all of our crosses typically come from our, our uh, fullbacks or wingbacks, depending on the formation we're playing. Um, and so we need, we need someone who can really add that extra dimension on the wing. Um, and then, you know, there's obviously other areas that we could strengthen. I think at left back, Montreal is getting a little bit old. Mm-hmm you know, better as a left wing back than he is as a left back. But I would say that that position is a little bit less priority than the other three. Um, mm-hmm. and like, and I'm, like I mentioned before, I'm perfectly fine going with the model of like trying to pick out more Gwen Doozies and Terreras of the world. Like I uh-huh. every signing to be, you know, some 60, 70 million pound player. But, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta make space for those players to come in, both on the roster and, as well as on the wage bill. And so, you know, you you can't have players like Ozil and Mkhitaryan being paid as much as they are to, you know, not even always be in the starting eleven. And so, what players do you guys hope leave the club? On that note. I think you just named the big one right there. Uh, you know, uh, if Ozil isn't going to consistently dominate every game, mm-hmm. he's not worth his money. And if we can find somebody to take at least most of that, sure. it's like I will pay Galatasaray fifty thousand a week to, <laughs> if they'll just take the rest mm-hmm. of it, just because it frees up so much more space on the wage bill. Um, so hmm. you know, well, he, he had great years with the club, but at this point, he's got to go. Well, uh, well, okay. I mean, I guess I was just fascinated from a neutral perspective, and obviously, you guys know about this. To watch, you know, the man management of him this season, I thought it was just brilliant the way that they dropped him for a large part of the season, and then kind of at the end, you know, they brought him back into the squad. And do you guys think maybe he could come back rejuvenated? You know, now that he knows, like he's not invincible. You know, then he can be dropped. I don't think he cares. And if you protect him, you know, if you protect him, you play, like you said, you pl- if you play three center backs, play at 3-5-2, and, you know, like maybe that could, you know, who knows? I mean, it's... it's the, issue, the issue with that is just the, is like Brian said, it's like how much he's being paid to play that role, right? If you told me he was on like 125000 a week... right. That's a different story than when we're spending, you know, a significant portion of our revenue just goes directly to Ozil, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, while I, I don't think he's like, like a totally trash player or he doesn't have any use. Interesting. What we get relative mm-hmm. to the amount of dollars we have to invest in him on a weekly basis is just, it's just not enough, right? Like, right. 
especially relative to you know how some other teams manage their wage balance and and who gets mm-hmm. paid. Um, because you know the amount that we spend on wages over the course of the season does end up affecting how much money we can spend on transfers over totally. the summer, right? And so you know if we hadn't spent three hundred and fifty thousand dollars on Ozil every week or 350,000 pounds on Ozil every week, I mean, that would be enough to, you know, not only pay another player, sure. enough to pay three other players or enough to sure. pay, and pay the transfer fee for a player. Um, and so that's the main issue. It's just like, it's, it's not that he's a bad player. It's just that he's not returning the, the amount that's invested in him. And, and Mkhitaryan is the same way. Like, I don't think Mkhitaryan is a bad player. Frankly, he's, he does play an important role in Emery's squad in certain styles when Emery likes to play them. But, um, but he's on, I think, 200-plus thousand a week, right? And it's just like... That's that, a lot, yeah. Exactly. That's, that's, right. that's the type of money that, like, Aubameyang is on, right? And, like, Mkhitaryan is good, but he's not a Golden Jubilee sure, sure. level player, right? Given the financial situation, you know, around the club, especially without Champions League money, we can't, yeah. uh, you know, be throwing dollars at people who aren't worth exactly as much as we're giving them. So, I mean, on that subject, I mean, how do you guys feel about? Do you think it was the right move to to not give Aaron Ramsey the money he was asking for? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, Ramsey is was one of our better players this season. He was one of our better players last season, but three seasons before that, he was very inconsistent. He's always had injury issues. He got injured mm-hmm. this season. Um, it's just he, he could easily end up being another player that, for whatever reason, was locked up on significant wages. And and Juventus is paying him like four hundred thousand a week or something like that. Right. right? I think yeah. It's Ozil level money, um, mm-hmm. and you know he goes down with a bad injury or yeah. he's out of form, and next thing you know, you're complaining about him the same way fans are complaining about Ozil. I love Ramsey, um, you know, especially for the last couple of years, he's played really, really well and mm-hmm. he stay on the team. But um, he's just like he. People are quick to forget how frustrating of a player he was at times basically between 2014 and 2017. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, we were never going to give him the money that Juve is going to give him. But if we had locked him up before he gets all the leverage on the last year of his contract, we could have Hmm. probably extended his contract for far less than that. Yeah, and I'm not... not like even, I, I think he would have taken less than four hundred thousand to stay at Arsenal, but like even three hundred thousand would have been too much. Yeah, um, and he made comments in the past saying that he wanted to, you know, at some point in his career experience um, either Italy or Spain. So he's talked about potentially leaving in the past. So I know a lot of some other Arsenal fans are really beaten up about this, but um, I'm much less concerned with this as much as I am with some of the other issues that we have and other players that we need to offload. You know, I, I just, just, I just want to say like, you know, I totally, I think I, on a practical level, I do agree with you guys, but I just think, you know, it is very sad, 
you know, and I'm curious to guys about your guys' best memories of him because, you know, growing up with the Chelsea teams, you know, like Aaron Ramsey was, like you say, even though you guys are totally right, he was frustrating. Like he was a guy who loved the club. He was there for a long time and he loved the club with all the heart. Whereas, you know, some, you know, there, there are some players, you know, look at the Kishelnys that have been there for a while, but you know, it does really sad to not, to see a player who really just loves the club, you know, like, and he is, you know, one of their versions of like, uh, you know, a company or someone like that, you know, end up leaving, you know, someone who really wants to be there. And I'm sure he would have loved to be there for this, you know, eventual when they come out on the really good side of this transition, you know? Yeah, I think so. I, I like, I, I do appreciate the sentimental aspect of it. And obviously like he's going to go down as, at the very least, an Arsenal close to legend, if not legend, simply for having the two of the game-winning goals in those in two of the three FA Cups. But um, yeah, like I said, uh, he mentioned leaving in the past. Not like that he didn't love Arsenal, but just that he mentioned that he wanted to experience one of the other leagues at some point. And so, you know, I'm not entirely sure that even if we had extended his contract, that it wouldn't have. You know, he wouldn't have eventually made an exit at the age of 30 in a couple of years anyway, just to, just to go do that and experience another league. So, um, you know, it would it would have surprised me, frankly, if he had, like, retired as an Arsenal player. Um, mm. But I totally get the, you know, the, the, the association he had with the club and the fact yeah. that, you know, you know, Aaron Ramsey, Arsenal, you think of the two of them together. Uh, but unfortunately, like, these kind of business decisions are the type that we need to make to be fiscally responsible and True. most out of the, our, uh, our, you know, self-sustaining model, as it were. Um, sure. And, you know, we lost Jack Wilshire last yep. year for similar reasons. Um <laughs> And he was another guy who was like a diehard Arsenal born and raised. But mm-hmm. frankly, you know, if you look at the team now, I mean, you mentioned Koscielny. So Koscielny is another like, you know, what I would call like an Arsenal near legend to legend status. He's was a world-class defender for a few seasons there back in the day. Um, so he's another one of these like mainstay older guys. But there are guys coming out of the academy that are, you know, like born and bred gooners themselves so a Wobie, matlin niles willick who came on in the europa league final at the end there they're all like you know academy guys um that are kind of the next wave of that's awesome that's awesome and so um arsenal always does a good job of of sprinkling in academy players i think we were second in like either i think fulham fulham may have been the only team that gave players under the age of 22 more minutes than us this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, guys like Greg Doozy, uh, Torreira, Torreira sticks around. Um, you know, those guys could easily grow into being the next Aaron Ramsey generation type. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that just real quick, you touched on like, is that your favorite? Your guys' favorite memories? The, the the FA Cup goals of Ramsey? Like, if you had to pick one, you know, moment, 
one or couple, one or two moments. It's hard to beat them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. hard to stop silverware. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, yeah, I mean, I'd probably go with, go with the. I mean, he's also like they weren't his best goals. Like, he's had some like wild goals. I mean, yeah, like a pretty insane volley against Galatasaray. I want to say. Um, but I think those those are the moments that everyone always brings up when they talk about Aaron Ramsey and you know his status as like an Arsenal legend. It's, gotcha. He was a big. He was a big game player. Um, he was 100. percent Yeah, like even when he he would have like weird games where he would be not very good against the you know giving the ball away in midfield fairly often against like the. Southamptons of the world, you know, when it came to a cup final or like a North London derby, he was always he was always up for it. Yeah, no. Yeah. Silverware. Must be nice. <laughs> hey, I man. Just, Saturday. Yeah. You, better, you better get you better have some silverware on Saturday. Losing is not an option. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, I really wonder to be to be honest, and I'm I'm like who do you guys think there's more on the line for? Like, I think Liverpool, they, this is really kind of a must, I don't want to say must win, but pretty close to it for them. Just given how many finals they've been to and lost, like, it seems like it's more of a a, a nothing-to-lose situation for Tottenham and Liverpool. This is, like, really their chance. Well, I mean, you look at the expectations placed on each team. I mean... You know, nobody expects Spurs to win anything because they never win anything. So, you know, if they lose, it's just another uh, mm-hmm. page in the same chapter that yeah, will be gone forever. Yeah, as, as, as uh, who was it? was it? Was it Chiellini or Benucci said after last year when Juventus knocked out Tottenham? Losing is the history of Tottenham. Exactly. <laughs> really? Oh, that's right, yeah. Chiellini came out and uh, he said, uh, "You know that that is the history." He said it in English too. They didn't they didn't have to translate it. It was an, Eng- it was an interview that? with an English uh, reporter. He was like, "Yeah, no, it's the, it's the history of Tottenham." Was, he like, said oh, that. I can't yeah, believe he said. No, he said that on air. Oh. I, I found the interview pretty mm-hmm. recently, and I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> For no what it's worth, that's given. so funny. For what it's worth, one of my favorite Eden Hazard moments was when they knocked out when he scored that goal against Tottenham to effectively end Tottenham's hopes. Winning oh the yeah, title. That for uh, that was when he scored it for Leicester, basically. Yeah. Season. What a, what a great, what a great season that was. Yeah. Oh, it must be nice winning the league. You know, even <laughs> when you have ninety-seven points, it must be nice. I yeah, but I mean, like, you know, that's the thing, though. You know, that's why this is must-win for Liverpool because yeah. Liverpool was in pole position to win the league, and they, you know, gave it up. So if, if they don't win this then there's no way you don't call this season the complete disaster. Yeah, I, I mean, dude, to, to lose the league to a basically near-unstoppable Man City team is a lot more understandable than to lose to Tottenham in the Champions League final. <laughs> yeah, but now I'm getting the sense that, you know, last year before the final, I slept for, like, Five or six hours, maybe, and it was it wasn't it wasn't a great night. Um, this year, I don't know if I'll be able to sleep before the final, so it'll just be a nice uh, all nighter, I guess, going into the Champions League final. So that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. Can 
I can imagine. Um, but to back to the original question about like who's there more pressure for, it's interesting because you know if Liverpool win or if Liverpool, God forbid, lose, then you wonder like do some of the players want to move on because they feel like they can't win anything or are they they feel like they want to stick around because they're clearly on the cusp of winning something mm-hmm. um and like for what I, you know for whatever reason even though i think the players on liverpool are are better and probably in you know decent demand not that the tottenham players aren't but i feel like most of them are like locked up on contracts that would allow them to stick around for another season. And I think that mm-hmm. winning or not winning doesn't actually have an effect on Liverpool's ability to recruit. I think it's going to be a draw regardless, just because of how close they came to winning the EPL and, and how close they came to winning the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Tottenham, I mean, I think Ericsson's on the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. Like, Kane is relatively underpaid. Like Son could be in demand. Um, I know yeah. their, their defense is aging. Alder Weyerold, however you pronounce that. <laughs> Good thing Kieran Trippier could leave, right? Yeah, Trippier, Trippier is going to go to Napoli. So it's like, yeah. I, I think that winning for Tottenham would be huge for them, just oh. in their ability to recruit players. Like, don't remember that they came in second and want to go there. Um, but and like that team might just get sick of getting knocked out of cup semifinals and coming in fourth and coming in third Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have to imagine that like even though I think there's more pressure from like a media standpoint and like expectation standpoint Mm -hmm. um, there could be some pretty big implications for Tottenham as well that's a really great point, to be honest. I think, yeah, hundred percent. There, it's a really critical point for for Tottenham in just their the direction of the club. Um, and I do wonder, like, not only recruiting. I mean, maybe, like, could could it convince like an Ericsson or something to stay if he if they won or something like that? Exactly, exactly. And I think that that's pretty important, just because. I, even though they'll have generated a pretty substantial amount of revenue from making this far into the Champions League final um, or making it to the Champions League final, like they just built that stadium. I, I don't think all the money that they get is going to go directly into transfers and wages. I think some of that has to go into yeah. off the debt on the stadium or paying for the stadium in some way. Um, and so I think retaining talent is going to be pretty key for them or at the very least making the most out of the sales that they do have um, mm-hmm. Erickson being allowed to pull essentially a Aaron Ramsey situation where he's about to go into the last year of his contract if they don't sell him um, is gonna you know definitely put a bit of a damper on how much money they can get for him um, and then you know like like we mentioned like Kane son um, yeah. like there's there's questions all around, yeah, all these people. The squad as well, and so 
could could be big for them. I'm, I'm hoping that Liverpool do the job and prevent them from uh, from reaching any kind of success, and we can go back to the the history of Tottenham, as it were. Yeah, you know, I mean, I guess the, uh, I hadn't thought about it that way, but I guess you know when you play for a shit club with no history, it doesn't really take. <laughs> so. Yeah. Here's hoping. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, my, my yeah. big thing with the final is this is actually Liverpool's first under Klopp that they've been favorites. Uh, the first two in his first season, the Europa League final against Sevilla, underdogs. Uh, EFL Cup final against City, underdogs. Last year, huge underdogs against Real Madrid. And obviously, to lose the way they did, uh, less than ideal. But, you know, it, it was... Last year, the pain from the loss was obviously, you know, losing in the Champions League finals never fun. But it was more so the expectation that you were going to lose to Real Madrid was always there. It was the manner in which it happened, which was more like a, great, now we have to live with this for as long as it takes for us to get back to the final. Luckily, it's only it's only a year. Um, and, you know, the way this year that it happened, I mean, to me, it was almost like this year didn't, it didn't mirror last year, but it, it had a lot of the same elements of last year when the draw came out um, for the round of, for the quarterfinals, we had to play City. This year when the draw came out, and we had to play Barcelona most likely if we beat Porto in the, in the quarters, Barcelona in the semis. It was more so that that was our game. I mean, once once we beat City last year, I mean, that was basically our, our clear, mm-hmm. clear path to the final. This year... It, you know, it was through Barcelona, and we got through that in the most incredible way possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's almost like a well, well, now what? And now we're in a position where we're not playing the two-time defending champions of Europe. We're not playing the the heavyweights that no one wants to face. I mean, first, Spurs are a very good team, as much as we hate to admit it, but they're they're not Barcelona. They're not Bayern Munich. They're not Real Madrid. They're not elite of the elite they are new to the party if you will yeah i agree and i think that i I mean klopp has been here before right like in the dortmund days and the liverpool days he's been to enough cup finals and made deep league runs and won leagues before so you know i think that he won't let the you know, underdog versus not underdog story get to him too much. Uh, I do think that there is probably some benefit to the fact that, you know, he's playing an opponent that he knows that he runs into at least twice a season, um, as opposed to having to deal with running into a team like Real Madrid, right? Who's going to have overwhelming quality such that, you know, you basically have to win via tactics and you have like, two weeks to get, you know, as much knowledge as you can in order to make those tactical decisions. I think being uh, being more familiar with the team is going to be beneficial to, to both managers, but I think that Liverpool has a little bit more quality on the field. And, and the thing is, last year as well, and, and I was actually, I think it was this morning or last night, watching highlights from the Champions League final in 2013 when it was Klopp against, against Bayern. Uh, neither one of those years, his team was getting played off the pitch. I mean, they were they were competitive in both games. And last year, if you take out both of those horrendous goalkeeping errors, 
it could have gone either way. I mean, Bale's mm-hmm. overhead was obviously one of the goals of the competition's history. In in that situation, to pull that off, just, just crazy, unbelievable goal. But before that, and before the Carius mistakes, it, it was a, a very 50-50 game. I mean, the stats may favor Real Madrid a little bit in terms of possession and shots, but it, it, Liverpool were very much in the game up until the point when Carius decided to throw the ball at Benzema and then just drop a knuckleball from Bale. To be fair, it was it was hit pretty <laughs> solid. It was a knuckleball, yeah. but it, he, well, he just straight up dropped it. But I think it was just it's just amazing. I mean, you're totally right. I mean, that game was, you know, it was in there. They were within striking. I mean, they were. It was within their grasp for a little while. Like last year, they they could have won it. But it's just. I mean, we were talking about it earlier. Like, it's just amazing to see the transformation this year. And it's just amazing to see, you know, last year, just how defensively solid they are this year. And, like, when they need to, they can, you know, press really aggressively and really high up the field. But whereas last year you just felt like they could give up some goals or you were just a little nervous about the balance of the team. I mean, this year, you know, it's just so amazing to see how they're so – defensively solid and I think that's going to be key in this game where you know a team like Tottenham you know likes to counterattack and a lot and and I know I just think it's just it show, the transformation has just been incredible because I've never seen the team go from from the, the the instability like that last year to just this year I mean their defensive record is incredible you know yeah and I think the other thing that Liverpool have going for them um you know it's obviously not going to make them an overwhel- it's not going to give them an overwhelming advantage, but to have the depth that they didn't have last mm. year. Last year, the players coming off the bench were the likes of Emre Chan, who was battling fitness for this, the better part of the rest of the year. Uh, and I, I believe it was it was like a James Milner type player um, mm. who, who was starting every game. Like a James Milner, a Jordan Henderson was starting a lot of games. This year, mm-hmm. I think Henderson and Milner, I think Henderson will probably start based on the form he's been in mm. to kind of end the year. But Milner is going to find it really hard to start because Wijnaldum is not going to be yeah. – Wijnaldum's going to play, Henderson's mm-hmm. going to play, and in the in the 4-3-3 Klopp likes to play, there's only going to be room for one of Oxlade-Chamberlain or Fabinho or James Milner. And then up top you think, okay, well, if Firmino starts, who's coming off the bench? Oh, the guy who scored two goals against Barcelona and the winner against Newcastle in the span of Three. a week, Divock mm-hmm. Rini. Or it's going to be a Champions League winner with Bayern Munich in Jared and Shakiri, bringing mm-hmm. Big Shaq off the bench. And just the ability to go to such a loaded squad compared to last yeah. year is such a bonus. So say Liverpool are down one goal or two goals in in the 70th and 80th minute. Who's to say that they can't get those goals back with the players they have on the bench? I mean, they they did it against Barcelona. What's to, what's to say the belief they can't do it against Tottenham, a team they know much better than they do Barcelona? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, they won't have Anfield on their side this year, but they right. – or in the, in the Champions League final. But it's, it's a case of they've come so far in such a short amount of time mm-hmm. that, you know – I would be worried if the performance did not match anything like what they had been putting in towards the uh, towards the end of the year. No, for sure. I like I hundred percent agree. You know, and it'll be tough though. I mean, with this layoff, we'll see the rust. 
You know what I mean? I'm very curious to see how this first half is going to look in this upcoming game. Yeah, and and something that I've that I've seen a lot out of Klopp is that he he's done something that I feel like previous managers didn't really do, and by that I mean really Brandon Rodgers, because you know I obviously wasn't as big of a fan before um, before the start of 2000, the calendar 2013 year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was my senior year of high school. Um, Klopp took the players to Spain for warm weather training camp. And yeah, did, I believe he did the same last year. Just to keep them, fr- and he gave them a break after the end of the season to keep them fresh mentally, mm-hmm. because they know that this game is it is what it is. It is the biggest game in club football every single year. Yeah. Um, and so I think he did that well. Their players were at Melwood, I think, at the last couple of days. Um, then I think they flew to Madrid. So you know, it, it's not. I don't think the preparation is ever a question. I think it's more just, you know, when when the moment comes, who's going to rise to it? Is it going to be someone? who has been consistently rising to the moment all year, mm-hmm. or will it be someone that no one expects? Will it be sure. someone, a fringe player for Spurs who comes up big in a, in a big situation? Will it sure. be a player sure. who's usually reliable for Spurs come up with a mistake of the century? I, you'd never know right. what it's going to be. For sure. Uh, um, but, you know, I think that... Um, First off, I think the just the point about I think taking the players to training, I think that was a good idea. Kind of get some, get some going again, get some happy. But you know, I, I'm I'm curious what you guys think of this. Uh, I just want to mention your point about how you don't know who's going to be the contributions for, like who's going to be contribution. Sometimes I think that Klopp doesn't rotate enough, like and particularly amongst the front three. You know, sometimes I think like. For example, earlier in the season when Salah was struggling, and I know this is like hard to say, there's a lot of egos, or like if Firmino is not always scoring goals, like why not ride Origi? Like why not give him more starts? You know why not? What's to say? Why not give Shakiri a couple games? Well, the thing you know I'll jump I mean? in. Well, specifically with Firmino, the thing I'll jump in on is the fact that he is more than just goals and assists. You're, no, you're right. You're he, right. You're he's right. the kind of player that he he's almost like. He's almost like he's not a striker, but he mm-hmm. obviously plays in that spot and he occupies a lot of the positions that strikers yeah. do. But it's just his his work rate and his movement to to be a nuisance for whatever team is trying to play the ball through their midfield and play between the lines. He's just he's just trying to be annoying as much as possible. And then when he's there, wins the ball back high up the pitch, feed the front players and the mm-hmm. fullbacks who are already high up the pitch, and have the fullbacks cross it in back either to him or to one of the wingers or to the midfielders making a run uh, and then set pieces they've been so good on set pieces all year and and part of it is, mm-hmm. is his intelligent movement at the top of the box so it's it's a lot of things that go into it but I think there there is some merits of the fact that Klopp has a very unique way of, of rotating players especially when it comes to substitutions mm-hmm. uh, he doesn't he's not always a manager who will use every single sub but I think he has enough intelligence around him and enough mm-hmm. to be able to make that decision. So it to me it's it's not so much not making a personnel change, it's just, you know, not getting out of a player what he thought he could get out of them, which is, you know, it's it's almost loyalty to a fault, which I would rather have as a manager in certain situations. Now, that that was kind of the case in some situations with Brendan Rodgers deciding to play mm-hmm. some of the players that he bought because oh my god there were some god awful Liverpool teams that he fielded 
right before he got yeah. uh, before he got sacked. I mean, there yeah. he went from playing a front three of Joe Allen, Fabio Barini, <laughs> and Mario Balotelli to Roberto Firmino, Sadio Mane, and Mo Salah. Wow. So you think of what Klopp has done to this team in the space of a few years, and it's nothing short of remarkable. No, it it, it definitely is. I mean, but no, it, it, listen, he's he's such an incredible manager. But I just wonder, like, if sometimes throughout the season, you know, like I know this is really nitpicking hardcore, but maybe he could have just rotated a little bit more, you know. Um, you know, you look at a look at a guy like Pep Guardiola. You know, like he he will sit you down if you're not producing. It doesn't matter who you are, you know. And I know that's not Klopp's style, but you know, same like Unai Emery was. I mean, with Ozil, and he can be a little. I mean, he, maybe he rotates too much, you know. But and, it's just and, a tough. And the um, other thing, the other thing though, I will say about Guardiola is the fact that they have an embarrassment of riches to be able to do that. Klopp doesn't necessarily have the same flexibility. So say he say he wants to drop Mane, who's struggling. Mm-hmm. He can play Shakiri, but Shakiri is also one of those players who has a track record of kind of losing <laughs> losing focus when his team isn't really playing well or not contributing when they don't have the ball, and that's something Klopp does not allow under any circumstances. You're right. You're right. So it's not it's you know it's it's. It's pretty hit or miss whether or not he's going to be, you know, whether he's going to strike gold with a substitution. Um, but I think through everything the club has been through in the last year, I think they're more prepared than any than they've ever been for a final of this magnitude. And whatever happens on Saturday, um, I'm just happy that they were able to create moments like they were at Anfield against Barcelona, um, mm. just to watch, really, just to watch Coutinho and Suarez. Or not, as much, <laughs> not as much Suarez. Suarez was always gone. But really yeah. just to watch Coutinho kind of mm. struggle the way he did in both legs, knowing that he could have been part of this, this rebirth team. of Liverpool. Yeah. But he decided to go be a, a bit player at Barcelona who could end up being sold. Um, and I want to use that actually as a segue into Chelsea because we haven't talked about Chelsea yet. Mm. Um, specifically one Eden Hazard who is most certainly off to Madrid. Yeah, yeah. Um... I mean, I just think, I mean, obviously, you know, being a Chelsea fan, it's obviously extra sad, assuming he is going to be sold. And But, um, you know, just as a, he's going to be a loss for the Premier League. I mean, you know, he's just been such a joy to watch, as Ander Herrera said. Um, he, he may very well have been, I don't know if he necessarily, he's up there amongst the best players. You know, he's been in the Premier League, and, and just the way he played um, this season in particular, I mean, just what a what a player he is. And just to do it so consistently. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's hard to think of players who, on a day-in, day-out basis, just come in there and do their job. And I know some people say, you know, he should score more consistently. But, I mean, man, he's just a incredible player. And to be honest, I mean, I think that Chelsea has a real challenging, um, I'm not going to say complete rebuild, but a challenging rebuild on their hands. And particularly with the transfer ban, it's going to be really, really challenging for this team in the future. And I'm not sure what the future holds, to be honest. 
Yeah, and you know, it's it's one of those situations I think where it's there's going to be an embarrassment of riches at some club in Spain, and it'll take away from from what English clubs are able to do because I think at the end of this mm. year, at the when it's all said and done, and the transfer window in August has slammed shut. Hazard is not going to be the only player from England who has made the switch over to Spain. Um, mm. I'm looking at a couple Spurs players in particular, not just because <laughs> they're in the Champions League final, but because they've been on Madrid's radar for years. Um, who Ericsson er- and the... Ericsson, Ali, and Kane. Mm. Um, mostly, mostly Ericsson and Ali though for Real Madrid. I think Ali is more Barcelona's kind of pursuit, mm. pursuee, if you will. Um, yeah. Which you know the amount that he likes to just fall down, it suits Barcelona perfectly. <laughs> but but Mbappe is going to Newcastle, so oh yeah, well, oh, we, yeah. Can't, we can't totally. forget Newcastle with that uh, that oil money gonna buy gonna buy Messi and Mbappe and and finish tenth in the league. I can see it now, Messi. I was always a Jordy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, the absolute scenes. Uh, but I, I think yeah, Chelsea's Chelsea's in a weird spot, right? Because it it sounds like they might just be accepting of this transfer ban. I'd read that they had thought of potentially appealing it to a uh, CAS, which is like a some kind of sports judicial board in Europe, who might have chosen to delay the transfer ban while they reviewed yeah. it. But, yeah. um, then I subsequently read that the management was considering just not appealing it and just getting it over with um, because they mm. felt like if they could get it delayed, they probably wouldn't get it uh, overturned. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and so it's, you know, with Hazard leaving, at the very least, you got Pulisic through the door beforehand who plays similar kind of inside forward t- style. Uh, yeah. But, you know, as a rival fan, I'll say that if I look at a Chelsea team sheet lining up against Arsenal and where the name Hazard used to be, it now says Pulisic, I'm resting a lot easier. Uh, but I think more more importantly towards that rebuild point, because I do think Pulisic has room to grow, obviously, it's the fact that uh, hudson Adoy and, and Loftus-Cheek both went down with... Yeah, particularly Loftus-Cheek. ...the end of the season, right? And I my understanding with those injuries is that they're not even going to be fit for the beginning of next season. And so, yeah, you know, it's going to be more Ross Barkley and William and yeah. for the foreseeable future, which I think a lot of Chelsea fans were really excited by Hudson Adoy and, and cheek and wanted them to be played more by sorry. And sorry seemed to finally be, bleeding them in a little bit and then those injuries were pretty pretty unfortunate from a Chelsea fan Chelsea fan perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. No, I was just uh, I was just gonna say like we had Bellerin and Holding go down this season who were two of our young players that were, you know, are more of our exciting talents for the future and so yeah, you, whenever you get an injury that's that substantial, you always worry, like, will they come back the same? 
The good news is for you is that Koscielny had that injury at the age of like 32 and managed to come back this season and play a handful of games at a pretty top level. So if Koscielny can do it in his 30s, chance in the early 20s, uh, they'll be able to come back even better. Still, if you're going to pick an injury that you really want to avoid and don't want to take your chances with, ruptured Achilles is probably the top. Yeah, I mean, Loftus cheap. I don't know if he's going to play. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Well, they at least they have something to look forward to uh, next year in the Champions League. But it, it's, I, I, the future, long term, does not look great for Chelsea. But I just Ooh. think like there's there's such a a, a lack of of at least with with Arsenal, there seems to be like a progression here. You know, I, I view this as just one step in the journey. And, you know, Manchester United, like, say what you want about their chaos, but I have no doubt they'll spend like crazy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, that's a good but, one. Good one. But, but with Chelsea, there seems to be such a, like, 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 dis- I don't want to say dysfunction, but so, so many more questions than answers. I mean, first of all, our owner can't even get in the country. <laughs> well, it's like, <laughs> let's start with that. It's, it's okay. Our, our owner... Uh, chooses not to go to the country, so <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. But at least he he can take a private jet, Mr. Cronky, if he wants to. Um, there is a like a nameless entity, essentially, <laughs> <laughs> probably in the country for at least some of it. You know, <laughs> that's very true. Man, jeez, oh, because freaking those guys, man, brought freaking Abramovich, man. Yeah. And then, you know, like, it's just, we don't know, I don't know what to think about the manager. I'm very conflicted on him. My gut tells me he's not the right guy for the team and that he's not going to make it through the next year. Wait, you, mean, then, you mean Kepa's not the right man for the job? Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> what was that all about? I mean, that was... They're, they're calling any... it a miscommunication, but really, you know... <sighs> It was just, it was too good to not, not talk about. I'm sorry. I had to bring it up. Oh. <laughs> the Chelsea dressing room is an entire another like, yeah. East compared to Napoli's, right? And yeah. like, and Starry is not used to having to man manage these type of personalities and, and especially these personalities who have a history of being yeah. able to essentially throw a fit and get whatever manager they want sacked right. at any given moment. The only team that's anywhere similar to that is PSG uh, and so mm, I'd say Real Madrid's right there too and honestly Barcelona's yeah, about to be there I think I think Barcelona's probably going to be next yeah yeah I would agree with Real Madrid I think Barcelona has so much like they have they just constantly have like generations of of like Barcelona born and bred talent yeah they're academy keep the, crazy. keep things under control, right? Um, and so, like, before Messi, it was, you know, they had Javi and Iniesta and Puyol. And so it's like, they, like even if it's not the managers doing the man management, there's there's a culture of, you know, playing for the team. Right. Um, That's true. So, but Chelsea, for sure, like, you know, look at what happened to Conte, who, frankly, was not... that and he won the FA Cup and just got 
sacked because essentially the players decided the players. to like him anymore. Yeah, I mean, the players... No, you're you're right. It's a whole topic. Like, the players... I mean, listen, I agree that Sarri's men management isn't the best, and that's a huge part of being a soccer manager. You have to gain respect. You have to have a good relationship with them. But you're right. At the same time, like, there's a lot of issues in the Chelsea dressing room, and clearly... Those players don't respect the coach, and they don't. They only, you know, they 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 have like he's mentioned all this stuff about motivational problems. Now I don't think it was the best idea for him to just call out the players like he did. I think right. that was, <laughs> but but you're right. You're clearly onto something, and and that's the other thing too, right? Like yes, like it's not only we need to rebuild in certain areas, but it's just like the the like let alone the manager like the. The whole players, like we might, we might not have to get those players out of there for the simple reason, like you said, there might be some, as Gary Neville said, uh, weeds, weeds in the, uh, you know, the dressing. Yeah. And the most bizarre part of it for me, and what would what would frustrate me if I was a Chelsea fan, is that, uh, you know, God forbid, I, I just the thought of that made me vomit <laughs> not a little bit, but um, like Hazard is good enough where you can kind of see why he would have that influence over the team and over the manager. Mm-hmm. But it's like, with Hazard gone, and are you really making changes to the manager because William is throwing a fit or because <laughs> Lude is throwing a fit or because David Louise or Kovic right. is throwing like, not Like, fucking Danny Drinkwater wants the manager out, so sorry he's got to go, right? Like, right. No, None of these like Hazard was is a generational talent. Most of these other players are, you know, Su- supporting players. I guess. Not yeah, not that. And they, exactly, they're supporting players, and they're they're much more replaceable. Mm-hmm. I do want to add, though. I think a lot of this comes from ownership. And, and the top-level management, because you've seen this exact same thing happen at Real Madrid. Real Madrid have been through, I don't know how many different coaches in the last 15, 20 years. And granted, they've won, they have an expectation of winning trophies, and they've had it since they've been a club. But the the same rule applies when you have a trigger-happy owner, or in, in Madrid's case, a president, who is willing to fire a manager as successful as Carlo Ancelotti, for example, because of a season after providing the club with one of the most historic pieces of silverware when he won La Decima. So it's it's one of those situations where it, when you have an owner who is so trigger happy at Chelsea, he's like, okay, Mourinho, you're not doing it anymore. You're gone. Who's going who's gonna to replace you? A guy who's going to win us the league. The next season, he doesn't win us the league. He's gone. So it just creates this vicious cycle where the, the onus is no mm. longer on the players to be held accountable for their performances. It's on the manager. And when right. that happens, players realize, oh, if I don't like this guy, I can just get him fired by True. not giving 100%. And as a professional, that that's a really, really bad thing that reflects on you. And that's something that, that people will be able to pick up on. So finding a new club for them is going to be a, a challenge if they ever were to leave. The thing is, they get paid so much money and live such a, a nice lifestyle in London that they don't have to leave. Listen, you're completely right. I mean, the 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 fact that the hiring and the firing of the managers, you're right. Like, it it doesn't players aren't held accountable, and it creates a toxic, you know, cycle. 
Um, and there was just so much noise this season. I mean, it was amazing to see Arsenal, for example, because they, I mean, sure, they had ups and downs, but it just seemed like there was such pot, like the manager really has done something positive there. Like, would you guys agree? But it just, like, he, he really has got the respect of the players and he's allowed to make tough calls. But with Chelsea, it's just like, you know, it, it, it definitely is a lot of the culture. You're right. Because, I mean, what's to say they got rid of sorry? What's to say the next manager would be better? I mean, the pers- to be honest, if they didn't change the players, the only person I think that could change. This could be Frank Lampard simply because he's an ex-player and he'll get the respect to the dressing room. Otherwise, I think the the foundation of the club and the ownership is such a mess that either they're going to have to they're going to have to they're otherwise they'd have to rat, they'd just have to get a bunch of those players out of there because it's just a toxic dressing room. Glad I just disband the entire club, just give up on it, which you know I'm not opposed to seeing. <laughs> <laughs> Seconded that. Well, it could. I mean, what do you guys think about Sorry? Do you think he's the right man for the job? He's the right manager to run a corner store. And- <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. We're talking about Chelsea manager, right? So we're not. We're talking about. We're talking about Kepa Arisabalaga. That's. I thought that's who we were talking about. There's the ball bag. Think <laughs> about. You know, how scary is that? That that was a player who. I mean. I'm, I'm, I guess you could say that, of course, you'd expect it, but that's a player who is new to the club yeah, and he's and young, and he's no like, you know what I mean. So the fact that someone like that could get away with that—that's exactly. bad. I mean, that was all I needed to see. And then, let alone, I mean, our downs were really down. I mean, say what you want about your form, but like the the performances against Manchester City and Bournemouth in succession, my gosh, two. Might have been the two worst, two of the worst performances I've ever seen from a Chelsea team. Yeah, I mean, to back to the question of if Sari is the right uh, corner store manager for the job. Is <laughs> 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 that I don't know? Say he's not, and he's like a very system manager, right? Like he kind of was like mm-hmm. in the sense that he forces mm-hmm. the system down your throat, and he's gonna. Mm-hmm. Through Jorginho, no matter what, and he's not going to yep. shift up the tactics because that's his the belief that he has. I mean that that is going to take time, and it's going to take players that are bought into the system. And if the players can't get bought into the system, it's you know it, you're going to end up having a similar season like you did this season with like mm. really terrible performances and and some quality performances, but. Mm. I think the bigger, regardless of whether or not he's the right person for the job, I don't think you'll ever know with this current Chelsea culture. Because even if you did sack him, like you bring on Lampard, I think Lampard would probably, you know, create great headlines and a feel good story for the first few games, similar to what Polkar did at United. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, wait, his entire managerial experience was one season at Derby County, right? and then it's like, okay, so what if you just go with another more experienced manager? Like, go get Allegri. Well, Allegri is going mm, to be like, great fit. Yeah. Right? Where he's going to come in and he's going to play a style of football that some mm. players might not like. And then the players start throwing a hissy fit and then he's sacked mm. in a season or two also. And you're just continuing through this loop, right? And I don't, and with the current form of, 
Liverpool and Man City and what they've become, I don't think we're going to get a situation like Conti where Conti comes in and wins the league again with this group of players. No, no, uh, I agree. And I agree. So, you know, uh, I mean, yeah, no, I, first of all, Legri would be an awesome name. But the reason I do think that despite his last zero experience, Lampard could be successful, I'm not saying he should be the first choice, it's just that Chelsea have shown, if there's one thing they have shown, it's that whenever they're, you know, in the, in, call them big game players, whatever you want, like, they, they, they've shown in small doses that they can play really well. And I just wonder if there's a manager that they respect and he can just motivate them and hold them ac- accountable. Maybe it's it's just as simple as getting their you know someone that will get them motivated to play well every day. You know what I mean? I, I don't know, but I'm just very to be honest. I'm very worried about the team because of all this, and there's so many holes in our roster right now. It seems like that. Out of all, to be honest, out of any of the big six, I'm a little. I'm most worried about our team. Um, Honestly, you know, and this is not just to rag on United as much as I'd love to spend an entire episode just bagging on teams I don't like, which is basically all of them except for like Arsenal and some of the other smaller clubs. But, you know, it's you got to feel like there's some issues at United that still, even with Ole at the wheel, especially with Ole at the wheel, have not been sorted out. Um, and no amount of money is going to deal with that because of who is in charge. Um, but that you know mm-hmm. that's 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 neither here nor there. Um, I do want to get to um, the kind of the part I hate most about um, the part I hate most about doing this, which is giving our predictions for Saturday. Um, mm-hmm. I always hate predictions because. <laughs> I'm never I'm never right, which is kind of you know why you do it, but mm. you know I feel I feel almost obligated to have a section where we talk about it before we let you guys go. Um, so I guess we'll start with final score and the goal scores for uh, for the just for the well yeah no we'll do final score and the goal scores. Um, I'll kick it off. I'll say. I'll say one from Mane, one from Van Dyke, and one from Alexander Arnold on a set piece, uh, and then one from one from Lucas. So three one Liverpool. Wow. All right. Uh, sure, I'll go next. Uh, I actually have a little bit of a different idea. I think Liverpool will win, but it's going to be an extra time. I think it's going to be 1-0 an extra time. And the goal scorer is? The goal scorer is Salah. Mo Salah. Ooh, sexy pick. Mm-hmm. Maybe not I think right it's going to be um, a chess match. I think it's going to be a really, really good game. And maybe a couple good saves, maybe a couple good chances, but the first goal is going to be an extra time. Fuck that! All right, I'm calling. <laughs> I'm calling four to one Liverpool. One. Uh, Mane's got a brace. Salah scores, and Andy Robertson. Andy. I was, hey. 
I would say 4-0 because, honestly, Liverpool's defense is, you know, is that good. And without Kane, I don't, you know, think Lucas Moura is going to pull another game where he has a hat-trick out of his ass. But, uh, that was the craziest I, thing I've ever but seen. I, but I do think that Son has a great dive in the box in him. <laughs> uh, seeing the, the diving battle between him and Salah, I think that's the chess match. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. See, Salah. the thing is, the thing is, Salah did dive this year. You're not, you're not wrong, and that that's what pains me the most about it. I mean, okay. To be fair, when you spend that much time with Ronaldo and Messi, it's gonna happen. Yeah. They're gonna rub off on you. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's funny. That's really funny. Ian, I don't. I don't like thinking about this game. <laughs> I mean, I think, like, realistically, if I just step back and like be objective, like Liverpool's got to win this thing by like, two goals. Okay. I think like three. I think three one is. Is what what's likely going to happen? Um, I am just afraid of the alternative. I'm very afraid of the alternative. <laughs> very very afraid. Yeah, I was going to say three one, but two people have already said that, so fuck that. Six nil. Damn. Mane brace. Salah brace. Origi goal <laughs> at the 75th after he comes on in the 70th wow. minute. Uh, wow. Uh, we'll, we'll go Allison, 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 Allison. Play Allison to set it forward. Go uh, James Milner yes. with the six. <laughs> wait, wait. I got you. I got you with this. James Milner on the six, but it's a penalty. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh man, Yo, I, I would, have. A, I would. I, have, I think I would actually shit myself, like in the middle of my apartment, if that were to happen. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even kidding. Oh my gosh! All right, well, when my prediction comes true, make sure. Yo, you guys, you guys think Harry Kane's gonna start in the game? Oh yeah, no question, start? no question. They're probably gonna you know, play like a four-four-two with Kane and Lucas up top. So you know, I was thinking. I'm curious what you guys think. I think stylistically, he should play. But to be honest, I think that Pochettino, personally, for like the media, I think personally it's going to look really bad if he starts him and he doesn't play well. Like because I just think the way they've performed in the Champions League, like if you start him and he doesn't score and they lose the game, he's always going to be second guessed for like disrupting the chemistry of the team. Like I think yeah. it makes more sense to be perfectly honest to be like in the end like. Like a DeMarcus Cousins, like they bring him off the bench, if anything. Well, that's also true, but how, you know, if you have a player like Harry Kane, how do you not start him? And but, he's fit. That's the thing. It's 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 tough to leave him out of a team or out of the I starting know. 11. But, dude, he's going to get – the media is going to slam him. Yeah, but, I mean, as a manager, that's the kind of risk you have to take if you want to win. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what kind of what kind of cojones that – Pochettino has. We know Simeone has cojones, and he, his players have cojones, as he's and, demonstrated and, once or twice in the sideline. And to be perfectly honest, I mean, he he's an incredible player, but, like, you know, 
other players can coexist with him, but Mora is like much better off without him. I think. Yeah, I think Lucas has been the pain in the ass that Liverpool have are gonna have to figure out how to deal with if he is the one that starts. But you know, obviously, and, the one thing I think plus, Pochettino has going in this is that he, we don't know who's going to start. I mean, Kane says he's fit, and he says he's he's gonna. You know, you'd assume that if he's fit, he's gonna start, but. Lucas has been in really good goal scoring yeah. form. So plus he what's to prevent like, them from playing both? Him and Son of a pace, right? And I, I just think like particularly if he's not a hundred percent or he's not particularly sharp, like Virgil van Dijk could eat him up for one game. Whereas well, I like mean, I, you know, I think, they, I think, those I other two can... guys have the pace to run away from him. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we could overlook Joel Matip either, who, you know, True. when he got when he got back to his house after the Barcelona game he took um, the following things out of his pocket. He took his phone out of his pocket. He took his keys out of his pocket. He took his wallet out of his pocket. And he took Messi out of his pocket. In the second game. Joel Matip. You're right. You're right. The, but, massive, but, the massive skinny Cameroonian. You're right. He's been, but, he's been so clutch for Liverpool in this, the, this uh, little couple months of the season. So I would not be surprised. Even, even if Gomez is healthy, I think... Matip is going to start with Van Dyke. Yeah, I agree. It would be unacceptable to get carved up by Lucas fucking Mora. <laughs> I agree. Oh my gosh. I mean, that'd be tragic. <laughs> you might as well, if you're going to let if you if you're going to have him pull another Ajax on you, you might as well let fucking Dorente score a couple too. Oh god. Well, only Thursday yeah, will tell, or only Thursday. I'm getting tired. Only yeah. Saturday will tell, um, and I think it should be it should be a really good game. But here's to hoping for a um, an easier game on my heart, just for my own health, than basically all of Liverpool seasons has season has been up until yeah. this point. I just want to say that I think I don't know if you guys have watched the clips on like YouTube, but. I think that Jose Mourinho's comments on being sports are fascinating because he analyzes all the Champions League analysts, and seeing him react to the Tottenham game was just fascinating. I, I have I have nothing to say, nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing to say. I have nothing to say. You know, you know what three three means? Three means I have three <laughs> That's three a great times pre- Premier League champions, like, and I have more Premier League premierships alone. Than the other managers combined. <laughs> respect, man. Re- respect. He's uh, he's he is analyzing the Champions League final with Arsene Wenger. <laughs> I can't wait. Your analyst <laughs> in the booth. Um, I cannot wait. Which is going to be absolutely wild. You know yeah, what the conversation is going to go like. Admission. You know, you know what the conversation is going to go like. So well, this, this this is what the conversation is going to go like. So, um, so like, uh, pretend the score is like, um, like, I don't know, like Liverpool's up one zero at half, right? Jose Mourinho during the IX game, he's like, he's like, um, he's like, all of us understand what the, what the weaknesses are of of the IX team, and they they did not do what they needed to do. To correct the weaknesses and and um, Tottenham kicked the ball direct to to Lorente 
and and Ajax did not know how to deal with it, and they did not know how to defend their lines. And Arsene Wenger is going to be like, well, you know, I, I just think, um, you know, Pochettino is, uh, is a great manager, and they, they play really beautiful football. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, the lads just need to be a little bit sharper and, and move the ball quicker. And, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's going to go, look, uh, you, uh, Jose Mourinho, you are uh, a little bit piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that that alone, I think, might be might be even better than the game. Yeah, what happened with Mourinho? Like, I'm not trying to make this like thing. Why did Mourinho was like, you know, because he gets pissed. Like, what happened if, if Mourinho was like, you're a specialist in failure, and he said it on TV? I'm sure they'll have some sort of like Gary Neville, Jamie Carragher type deal going. Where they're yeah, like, that would be great. That'd they're be having, awesome. They're having some like, really? they're, it's banter, but they both kind of mean it, even though they kind of laugh it off as banter. But they really both deep down mean it. Like I, you can tell that Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher don't get along, like on a personal level, because of who they are. Really? But no. Really? No, I think deep I down they they're do. like deep down so, they're like uh, you're you're from you're from that other city. I don't like you. You know, it's funny. I thought that they would be. I thought it could be the, like they would get along and like Mourinho yeah, and Wenger. I mean, they work together. So I they, feel like Mourinho like, it. takes it way too seriously. <laughs> well, it's Mourinho. What do you expect? Carrier yeah. takes it very seriously. Um, but it's fun. It's it's not going to be quite as funny as Gary Neville and Carragher yelling at each other because they're not uh, they're not going to have their voices get higher and higher pitched. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best part about hearing those arguments. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what you're doing. What are you talking so, about? All the dogs in England can hear them, and they're perking up their ears going, what is that whistle? <laughs> what is that dog fight going on? Oh, my God. Um, uh, anyways, final thoughts, guys, about uh, either the season, your team, mm. Champions League final, anything anything relevant before we, before we sign off? I have some thoughts about Pochettino's mother. Um, <laughs> Yikes. I don't know how rated you want to get with this, uh, with this talk. <laughs> this is about to get crazy. But, you know, this is a, just, you know, let that be known is an X factor. <laughs> oh, my God. This is hilarious. <laughs> one, the one final thought we can all agree on is fuck Tottenham. Yes. Uh, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks. Uh, guys, thanks for thanks for coming on the podcast and giving us your uh, your takes, your spicy takes. Oh, your, how about uh, uh, how about uh, how about uh, sad? We're never going to see Neil Warnock keep the team up in the league. Uh, <laughs> never happened. Now that's a Brexit man through and through. <laughs> yeah, he is right out of the league. Yes. Neil hey, how about um, yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, that... we didn't even get to a lot of the stuff that I'd, I'd planned on it, but no, we've no, gotten, no, no. We've gone no. so long with this. Concept. I was gonna say we all. If we don't have sorry, we'll take Rafa Benitez back. I mean, I mean, <laughs> you want you want Rafa because he's a Liverpool guy through and through, so he'll just bottle. Well, it who'd for rather you. have Rafa Benitez or Lampard? Probably Rafa. Seriously, that's a serious. Rafa stuff. knows what he's doing in the league. Lampard's, Lampard's really green in that sense, so I would be very cautious. 
I agree. Um, before we go, though, I do have one last quick thought. And as we're looking at the, the table, credit to Wolves this season for doing exactly what they did. They they spent heavily in the transfer window. They spent smart in the transfer window. And their players have performed at an extremely high level, especially for a club that just got promoted. So well done, Wolves. Really great season. Um, excited to have them doing what they are with a manager who who is stubborn in his ways, but those ways seem to be working. And it's probably a literal pimp at night. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've seen this man, Nuno El Spiritu Santo, like the, Nuno the Holy Spirit. You tell me that guy is a pimp. Uh, you know what? I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> it's going to suck for them next season when they play even better than they did this season and they finish eighth because the Mbappe-led Newcastle <laughs> <laughs> storms into the top four. Yikes, you hate to see that. Oh, my God. I would love to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Hey, if, uh, oh. if Newcastle starts playing like an elite club, you know Wolves do real well against them. That's true. Um, I also... Would, look, if <laughs> Premier League de- degrades into Sheik Mansour and his cousin just oh, playing battle bots with two <laughs> soccer teams... <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> oh no! That would be most unfortunate. That'd be bad. Yo, the the big six teams should should collude to not let uh, Everton in the top six. I, I'm kind of worried about. I that. would be very okay Sneaking with that. Out. Well, actually, no. Can we? No, actually, can we keep it a big? Fo- no collusion. No collusion. Sorry. Sorry. Let's, let's let's keep it a big four. Let's throw Tottenham out of there. And yeah, I agree. Throw Chelsea throw out. Throw <laughs> so I mean, and and while we're at it, we could just throw Man United out of there, and then City. Well, so it's really just Liverpool and Arsenal. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Listen, listen. You can do worse. Oh uh, yeah, we'll just go listen, back. Listen, you can eliminate Man City with financial fair play. They'll be they'll be they'll crumble. Uh, yeah, so that's right. one. Like, so it's a, it's a big five. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when it, yeah. It's a it's a big five, and then honestly, if our owner can't get in the country, maybe we'll be done. <laughs> it's not looking great for you at the moment. Oh what? man, deal. Yeah, freaking Everton. How they ended up with a positive goal differential is beyond me. Yeah, I mean they played so well, man. Yeah, the, played so well to finish eighth. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Well, anyways, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Really enjoyed having the uh, the old the old Homer perspective with Arsenal and getting a sense of what to look forward to on Saturday afternoon. Um, I'm going to be a nervous wreck from now until then, so uh, we'll see how that pans out. In the future, everlasting words of Lionel Messi: "Up the tune, up the tune." What? Yeah. Newcastle's called no. <laughs> Sounds like Pochettino's mother's mantra. Hey. <laughs> Yikes. Alright, thanks for having us, dudes. Thanks for having us. Alright, thanks for coming out, guys. Big thank you to Ian, Nick, and Brian for coming on the show. Um, really enjoy having them on, having them on the show as always. Um, hope that for those of you who listen to the show on a regular basis, their content isn't too edgy for you. If it is, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, just want to quickly wrap up here with a couple thoughts. Um, uh, 
you know, I... I know a lot of times we talk about Klopp at Liverpool as as needing a trophy to cement that this is, you know, Liverpool are back. But, you know, for, for, for fans, I don't think there's any doubt that we feel that Liverpool are back where they back where we belong among the elite of the elite in Europe. I mean, you teams don't just come back against Barcelona like that just because. Mm-hmm. It took it took years of preparing both financially and on the pitch to to get to this point. And now that Liverpool are at this point, I think it's safe to say that they are Liverpool are where they belong, challenging for the league on a consistent basis, challenging for the major trophies around the world. Um, my my one pick is I would have liked to see them be a little more competitive in the FA Cup this year. I feel mm. like, I feel like um, you know obviously drawing Wolves in the first round was tough, um, and fielding a team that did not really seem to respect the FA Cup I don't feel like as sure. much as, as much as we could have was less than great. Virgil Van Dyke didn't play. Allison didn't play. Um, and that was kind of the reason, or two of the big reasons that we ended up losing those games against Wolves. Um, but nonetheless, I think, you know, regardless of what happens on Saturday, this has been a great season for Liverpool. And I would very much like to see them win the title or win the, the Champions League. But that said, I don't think I'll be able to, you know, I think I'll be, I think I'll, we'll be A-OK if, if, if they're not able to get the job done. I say that now, of course, mm-hmm. but, you know, we'll probably... Um, yeah, we'll probably see how that actually pans out on Friday, on Saturday. Hundred percent. I think the the structure of the you know the structure of Liverpool is great from the top down. You know, the owners they have good owners and they have a great manager. And as long as, particularly as long as Klopp is there, Liverpool's in good hands, man. It's yeah. it's really awesome to see. And that's the thing, though, is it's just getting Klopp to stay for as long as possible mm-hmm. and to win as many trophies as possible in that time. To really, you know, hammer sure. the home across so that the 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 foundation for success is left long after he's gone, um, long after he's retired from the club. Well, I think it's their own. I mean, first of all, knock on wood, but I think that Klopp, all indications and in interviews, seems like he wants to be here for a while. But you know, even then, you know, it seems like the owners are stable, and the, you know, they have a really good you know director of football and, and recruitment and such. Um, where the, the the owners are in good hands, where eventually, you know, when Klopp isn't there, it seems like that they should be in really good hands. Plus, I mean, the age of the squad, you know? I mean, that's the scary thing, Owen. I mean, the future of Liverpool is so bright. I mean, everyone on their team, other than a couple of their players, you know, Henderson and Milner. Henderson and Milner are the old guys in the team. Everyone else is... At least around the age of twenty, twenty four to twenty seven, or which is insane, just, just younger than that. I mean, let's think of the players who are my our age and younger. Um, Nabi Keita is younger than me, is younger than us by, I mean, obviously like a month, but he's younger than us. Andy Robertson's about a few months older than me. Alexander Arnold is younger than us. Yep. Salah is about my oh brother's my age. Mane is about my brother's age. Um, Firmino is about my brother's age. Oh my gosh, why not? That's crazy. A little older than that, maybe, maybe around that same age as well. 
So the squad is at a really good age for them to, to, to continue to challenge. Joe Gomez is really young. He's younger than us. Joel Matip is a little older, but not. I mean, he's a center back, so they tend to last a longer. And Virgil van Dyke as well. So, mm-hmm. And then Allison as well. So the, the team's at a, just a really, really good age all around. Yeah. And I'm excited for um, excited for Saturday. Excited for what the future holds for Liverpool. Um, it was a disappointing end of the season this year, but... You know, you know, I'm, I think I'm excited about what, what we have to look forward to. Totally, man. I, I, I just can say, I think I think going we could have a Cavs-Warriors thing where Liverpool and Man City, assuming Guardiola stays, have like this rivalry for the next like five years. Well, I think it all depends on, on how, how UEFA handles this financial fair play <laughs> investigation. My, my gut feeling is they're not going to do anything because they, there hasn't been a precedence for them doing any of that so far mm-hmm. um, but but we'll see yeah that i mean that's gonna be huge for sure anyways um since it is almost 215 on the just past 215 <laughs> the east coast actually uh, i think we're gonna wrap it up here willie thank you so much for taking the time to, thank you buddy to sit down and get through this i know that this was kind of you know this has been a long time coming in between yeah, our schedules and the, and the time change um we've wanted to do this for a long time but we're you know back doing this hopefully a little more, more regularly and we'll have obviously our um, our big pre- our preview for um the premier league season once it starts up again back in august um but enjoy the summer away from from soccer after or away from club soccer after uh after saturday and um i guess next next time we'll we'll dive more into baseball because we haven't really done that a lot we'll have one maybe focused exclusively on baseball I'll talk about that and then go back to our usual format of switching back and forth between the two um, as we kind of go on through the progression of the show. Sure. Willie, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, buddy. Um, of course. Hope to have this episode up. Uh, at, we're recording this Thursday night. Uh, hopefully have this up early Friday morning, if not um, late Friday night, first thing Saturday. Something to get you uh, hyped up for the biggest game in club football, one of the biggest mm. single games uh, in sport in the world, the UEFA Champions League final. This Saturday from the Atletico Madrid Stadium in Madrid. Um, Will yeah. any last final thoughts before I let you go? Go Reds. <laughs> oh, oh, yo, yo! Breaking news, on. I just got a, I just got a breaking news. Inter Bleacher Report. Fourteen seconds. Yeah. Did you get that? Yeah. Inter appointed Antonio Conte head coach. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Former Juventus player and manager. Former Chelsea manager, Chelsea Premier League champion. Interesting. Yeah, crazy man. Good shit. Yeah, things things worth quickly in world football. But thank you so much for listening. Um, you can find this on the Anchor FM app or on the website Anchor.fm under Hot Takes Only. We're working on getting the show on Apple Podcasts mm-hmm. and Spotify. We'll let you know when those go out to those platforms. If they do, otherwise. Um, keep it here for more content so for willie i'm owen thank you so much for listening this has been hot takes only and we will see you next time